0: Hey, thanks for joining us here on the house podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this message. If you want to learn more about the house, check out our website at welcometothehouse.com or download the house app. My assignment today is it's all in your head. Okay. So we're going to talk a little bit about why it's all in our head. You know, I remember when my children were very young, all five and under, I have four. And uh, Stephen had a great idea to take our kids and our family on a family vacation. So money was limited, but this was a big deal, and we had to plan, and we had to really prepare. And so um, we bought a used pop-up camper, and we put it on the back of our minivan, uh, which <laughs> was not going to be able to tow that very well. And so we decided that—I call it the trip around the world because it was— felt like a trip around the world. (laughs) And so uh, my oldest was five, my youngest was three months old. And so we decided to go from central Arkansas to Missouri, through Kansas, uh, through to Colorado, back down through Oklahoma, all the way back to Arkansas. And so it was about a 10-day, two-week trip and uh, here we are excited to get on the road. I'm thinking this is a crazy idea. I knew. I did understand that but I did think this is going to be fun. Okay so we get on our trip and we go through Missouri. That's not too bad. It's very hot. It's August Uh, so we're camping in August and um, we get to Missouri and it's very hot but you know I'm thinking we're going north It's going to get cooler. It's going to get better. And so we get on the road, and we're in Kansas, and it's over about 108 the heat index. I mean, you're talking about very, very extreme temperatures. And uh, sure enough, we get our first flat tire of the trip on the side of the road in Kansas. And uh, we have our minivan and our pop-up and our four children. And thankfully, the best idea that I had on the entire trip was to take our babysitter. Thank God. Uh, because we needed her desperately. And so we are on the side of the road, and of course, Stephen gets out, and we're just going to change that tire real quick, and um, we all have to get out, because the spare tire is underneath the van, and we live on a dirt road. So we did. So we found that that spare tire under the van was actually stuck, because of all of the dirt. (laughs) And so... What could have been a quick change tire ended up being over two hours on the side of the road. And let me just describe to you the circumstances. We're out of the vehicle. On one side is a highway going 70 miles an hour. The other side is a ravine. So I have my four children hugging me. We're all on the side of the road as close as possible in the median with my babysitter trying to not get hit or fall over. Okay, and so, and it is hot, we're sweating. I'm holding my three-month-old, she's holding my two-year-old, we have my five and three-year-old right here, and I am thinking these circumstances, there's nothing good about them, zero. Okay, zero good of these circumstances. The thoughts in my head were not positive. Okay, there was nothing positive about this trip anymore. I already knew we were crazy. I thought it was gonna be fun, and now I've learned that it's not gonna be fun, okay? This is a bad situation. Okay, so here I have uh, taught my children from a very young age songs that I learned as a child. I prayed with them from a very young age. All of these things, every day on the way to preschool Mother's Day out, we would sing a song called This Is The Day. I don't know if you've heard it or used to sing it in Sunday school, But it's, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. I will (laughs) rejoice, I will rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you for singing along (laughs) because I am not a worship leader. So, (laughs) basically, I'm here. I'm not thinking about that song, y'all, on the side of the road. And my two-year-old starts singing it. And I'm like, okay, God. I hear you, and you know, even as bad as those circumstances were, there was still a reason to be thankful, there was still a reason to be rejoiced, and there was still something good to sing about, and my daughter, two years old, taught me that lesson in the moment of the worry, the stress, the heaviness, and the seemingly helplessness, because here we are in the beginning of the trip, I'm like, this trip is doomed, Um, and so I want to use that as a contrast for Paul writing this letter. Remember that Paul is in prison and he has faced being wronged. He has been wronged. He's in prison for his faith. Not something he did wrong, something that he's doing to produce more people to find Jesus and hope and peace, etc. And here he's doing what God's called him to do and he's been imprisoned. There is nothing good about that situation. He actually is a true victim. And I think that it's important for us to understand because in this world, we will be wronged. In this world, we will have days that really, if you really want to in our flesh look at them, there's nothing good about that day. But yet, Paul is telling us that what we are responsible for is our response. We may not be able to control our days. Sometimes our days are our fault. Sometimes our days just happen. We just live in a fallen world and we're going to face uncomfortable, unwanted, and uncontrollable circumstances. But we aren't to be led by our feelings. So Paul's revealing what is in his head. So he's writing this letter. He's exhorting us and he's saying, hey, what's in my head is not doubt. It's not Uneasiness. Thanks. I'm going to switch because that was really breathy. Sorry, guys. We're going to just proceed. Ah, uh, there. Okay. So, uh, because of what Christ has done, Paul continues to teach us in Philippians four that hey, because of Christ, we have joy. Because of Christ, we have peace. Because of Christ, we have provision. The worries, the stresses, the anxieties that you're facing and feeling and experiencing you know what, you may really have been wronged. You may really be in a situation that you don't know how to fix. But yet, Christ is the reason why we can have joy. Christ is the reason why we have peace. Christ is the reason why we have provision for anything and everything that we need. So let's jump into chapter four, verse one through nine today. Philippians four, one through four says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown stand firm, thus in the Lord. My beloved, I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat Sintichi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored, side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I'll say rejoice. So he says always for a reason. He didn't say sometimes, and he didn't say when you're not on the side of the road with a flat tire with four children, five and under, and sweating and wondering two hours later if you're going to be able to leave. Okay, so he says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. In this situation, Paul is writing to the church, and these two women that he mentioned with beautiful names, by the way, if you need a name, um, they are in a disagreement. And so I know for me, I would think, oh, man, I wouldn't have wanted to be the woman <laughs> that was in this letter talking about that, you know, hundreds of years later, we're talking about how they need to get along. But these two women were in ministry with Paul, okay? So he, they were doing the work of God, and they get into a disagreement. The other thing I thought about, though, is I think I'm really glad that you, Odia and Sintichi are in this scripture because of the fact that it shows me that, hey, You know, sometimes we can disconnect ourselves from the word of God when we read it and we think it was better for them because it was easier because Paul was their apostle. Paul was teaching them, you know, they must have had a really good church. They must have had really like perfect people, but they had people just like you and I do across the row from us. And so here they are showing the real reality. They weren't pretending that it was all okay. He was saying, hey, there are two ladies that love Jesus and want to do what God's called them to do. They're not getting along because they've come into a disagreement. And we've got to see how we can help them come into unity because ultimately, this is not what we're doing. We want to rejoice in the Lord always. So I want to just point out what Charles Spurgeon wrote about this portion of Scripture. And Charles Spurgeon was a theologian in the 1800s, and he had a lot of good things to say. And so he actually explained this Scripture like this. I am glad that we do not know what the quarrel is about. I'm usually thankful for ignorance on such subjects. But as a cure for disagreements, the apostle says rejoice in the Lord always. People who are very happy, especially those who are very happy in the Lord, are not apt either to give offense or to take offense. Their minds are so sweetly occupied with higher things. Come on, we just talked about it. It's all in our head. Yes. Yes. That they are not easily distracted by the little troubles which naturally arise among such imperfect creatures as we are. Joy in the Lord is the cure for all discord. I wonder what our marriages would look like if we took this advice. I wonder what our families and our homes would look like if we rejoiced in the Lord always. I wonder how it would work look on your serve team, maybe at your job, Whatever realm you're in, that you're in relationship with people, what would it look like if we rejoiced in the Lord always? Okay, so he's talking about the fact that what's in our head matters. Okay, I don't know about you, but have you ever done that challenge about what would you tell your younger self? Okay, there's a couple of things that I would tell my younger self. First, I would say probably keep those genes, (laughs) go ahead and put them up for a season but those are going to be super cute in about 20 years (laughs) because it's going to circle back and you're going to save yourself some money okay so the next thing would be is that I remember being so stressed out about so many things One specifically when I was around, you know, 18, 19, I was so stressed out about how I was going to pay for Bible college. And at that time, that was a few thousand dollars a semester, and I remember thinking that felt huge, catastrophic, like the biggest mountain I could have ever climbed. And then you live a little bit of life, and for Stephen and I, as we've been married and have children, we've had multiple six-figure medical bills come into our mail, And I think of the fact that, you know what, if I could have told my younger self, you know what, the numbers don't get smaller, they get bigger. (laughs) And you can rejoice always today, or you can wait to learn that rejoicing always really is the solution and is the right response in every circumstance. Whether we've been wronged, whether it's unfair, whether it's uncontrollable, We can rejoice always. We are not helpless wondering what we do next. We understand that like Paul, we can learn that it doesn't matter what the number is. It doesn't matter what the issue is. Nothing is too big for our God. And nothing is ever too big to stop rejoicing. Philippians 4, 5, the next verse says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Can everybody say reasonableness? That's a lot of syllables, but it's a very important word in our society today because of the fact that we live in a very unreasonable society. Oftentimes, conflict is because of true unreasonableness, and I'm not just talking to the world. I'm talking about, I've seen posts on social media from believers and I think, I wonder if this is an example of reasonableness or is this an example of you losing your marbles? Because everybody is losing their marbles. Okay, everybody is losing their mind. Everybody is becoming unreasonable. But because we can rejoice in the Lord always because we know who he is, we know how big he is, we know how good he is, he is truly the source and the reason why we continue, we can be reasonable in unreasonable circumstances. So in a world full of unreasonableness, don't let disagreements plant the wrong thoughts in your head. Don't let it stop you from rejoicing. Don't let it produce unresolved conflict between your brothers and sisters in Christ, between you and your spouse, between you and your children, between you and your friends. Remember, he is near and he is coming soon. So when we're in that moment of unreasonableness, oftentimes we feel like God is far. Like he's not close. He doesn't care. He is not involved. But when we understand that actually the verbiage here and what Paul is saying is that you used to be a Gentile away from God. Now you have been brought into the family of God and now you are close to God. He's also speaking of the fact that you think that you've been left here alone, but the Lord is coming back for you. And so don't live our life as if the Lord is not watching, as if the Lord is not involved, if, 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 as that he's only done that one moment of salvation, which is enough and is finished, but as if he's not involved continually. He is involved continually, and us rejoicing in the Lord always helps us stay in the place where our head is not in the wrong place. Okay, so John fourteen twenty seven actually says, peace I leave with you. This is Jesus talking. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Anyone want some peace today? Anyone want a reprieve from the worries and the stress and the anxiety of this world? All right. So there's good news because Jesus has promised us peace. So Paul teaches three ways that we can experience the peace of God in our lives, not tomorrow, not 10 years from now, but today and every day that we choose to apply the word of God in our lives. So number one, the first thing is to make requests. So verse Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so I wanna point out some key words in this verse. One of it is, do not be anxious for anything. So anything means anything. And so there is nothing that you can justify enough to worry about. There isn't anything that you can describe to God as if, but this is really worthy of worry. Paul was in prison for his faith, wrongly accused, and he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. Don't worry. Pray. And so if he can be in that situation, in that position, we also in our lives can say, You know what? It does look bad. I'm not denying that. It is uncomfortable, but I do have the ability to not be anxious in anything when I pray with supplication and thanksgiving, and then I can allow the peace of God to guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. It says it goes beyond understanding, goes beyond comprehension. You're like, I don't know why I have peace, but I have peace because it's supernatural. I'm in pain. I'm in suffering. I'm in conflict. I'm in uncontrollable circumstances, but yet I have peace because I'm rejoicing in the Lord always he's the source of my peace and I am not far from him he is close to me one of the things that I love about this is it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus remember that specific fact as we return to that here in the, at the end of this point but receive the peace of God in prayer we all have worries we all have stress and we all have anxiety we live in a fallen world And he's not saying that you won't have worry. He's not saying you won't have stress or anxiety. Worry is just praying, except anti praying. It's just focusing on something, but keeping it in your hand and not giving it to him who can help. And so when we turn our worry into prayer, powerful things happen. There is peace and there is joy when we're able to say, you know what? I understand that this worry is here, but I can choose not to obsess over it. I have stress, but I can direct it positively or negatively. Okay, I have anxiety that I feel in my body, but yet I don't have to be anxious for anything because He cares for me. You know, do you know that prayer stimulates the hormone serotonin? And this is a mood stabilizer that makes you feel at peace. So prayer actually not only gives you supernatural peace, but there is a feeling that goes along with that. Now, I don't, I'm not led by that feeling. I'm not thinking, well, if I don't have that tingly feeling, then God is not with me. I'm saying I know peace is there because of my faith. Because the word says it and it's true. But the thing is, is he also allows us to feel the feeling of peace. And when we pray, they've scanned brains, and they see that serotonin is increased. They also see that dopamine is increased. Dopamine is what makes you feel good, makes you feel happy. You receive the feeling of joy when we are in prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, So this is not just something that scientists have discovered or invented. They've discovered what God created. And science doesn't invent anything. It doesn't create anything. God is the creator, and it discovers what he's done. And here we have a way to have peace and a way to have joy at our fingertips. But oftentimes, it isn't the thing that we first choose. We choose worry because it feels comfortable. We we choose stress because we've just adjusted and acclimated. We choose anxiety because we don't feel like there's any way out. But today, I want you to know that Jesus said, Peace I give you. Peace I leave with you. So let's talk about supplication. Supplication is a word that indicates that there is, we're coming to the Lord in prayer with humility. We're coming to the Lord in prayer with earnestly and fervency. I'm not just, I'm not saying throwing up a prayer is not effective. I'm not just saying, help me, Lord. I'm saying help me Lord, have patience with my kids. I don't want to ruin them, help me not. Do something that is going to psychologically mess them up. I don't want to be on social media 10 years from now about everything I did wrong, you know? And so I do, I just lay my pride down because a little bit of it is pride. And I'm coming to him with everything that's in me, even the stress, even the silliness, even the craziness, because I'm not going to leave anything in here to be left for the enemy to then stir up and, and, and make me live in a state of stress, anxiety, and worry that's going to mess up my kids a whole lot more <laughs> than if I give it all to him. So I know that... A couple of weeks ago, I was on the phone with a friend of mine, a mentor, and I was telling her the situation we were going through, and I was like, I guess the only thing I can do is pray. And she said, Katie, <laughs> the most important thing you can do is pray. <laughs> she was like, don't act like it's your last resort, or if they, that's not very much, because I was at the end of my rope of this situation. I'm like, I guess all I can do. And she was like, no, 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 that's what you're doing. God can do a miracle when you feel like you're at the end of your rope and praying is not the last string and you're hoping. Prayer is what we do in faith. In faith, we pray knowing that he's got it. You know, I think that that's what I would tell my younger self. Don't stress about it. God's already taken care of it. But we can't see that he's already taken care of it. So right now, when you, whatever you're going through, just say right now, God, you've taken care of it. Just say it. God, you've taken care of it. You can move that worry on the side of your piece of paper under worries to God is taking care of it list. Because he is moving on your behalf. So with Thanksgiving, don't pray and just stay there and complain. Pray and get to the place where you can thank God for who he is, what he's done, what he's going to do. Do not pray and leave worse than you came pray and make sure that you get to the place of Thanksgiving. So research has shown that a routine of gratitude, what is a routine? Something you do every day, something you do regularly, something you don't even hardly think about. When you are thankful regularly, routinely research shows that you have reduced risk of heart disease, decreased anxiety and depression, improved relationships, boosted immune system, healthier weight, better sleep patterns, cope with chronic illness and serious medical conditions better than those who are not thankful. And so I want you to notice the first two that I talked about, reduced heart disease and decreased anxiety and depression. And that scripture says that he will guard your heart and your mind. And so God is doing more than we think. He's doing more than we think, and he can do it. Number two is think differently. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, that's a long list. And if, if that's the list we're supposed to think about, believe me, you don't have time to think about anything else. Okay, so I remember uh, a couple, like a month ago, my oldest turned 18 and he was gone being a senior camp counselor at a camp, which is awesome, but man, y'all, it hit me hard. I was so sad. Even in this moment, I could break out in tears in any moment. (laughs) Okay, so I was sad that he was turning 18, he's becoming an adult. I was sad that he was gone and I couldn't be with him. And so I was crying pretty much all day long. And so, and it wasn't a bad cry. I'm not mad he's turning to 18. I'm not sad. He's a great kid, and I'm proud of him. But I'm sad that this season is changing. And so, my daughter <laughs> continued to find me throughout the day crying. And um, she gave me several pieces of advice that I actually then gave her the advice that she may not be want to go into the counseling field. And um, so... <laughs> And one of the times later on in the day that she had come and found me crying, she said, Mom, okay, this is what you need to do. Pretend like he's turning 19. It won't be so sad. Uh, <laughs> and so, actually, that does help and it does work, but it's just not true. And so, <laughs> I want to point out that Paul's joy wasn't based in sunny optimism. His joy wasn't based on a false premise. He wasn't pretending that he was in prison, that he was somewhere else than prison. He wasn't denying that he was in prison. Okay, so he understood the very real facts of his situation. He understood that he was wronged, but he exemplified that our confidence is in the Lord, that he is good, and that there is a reason to rejoice in him even in prison because God loves us. And he cares for us and is working even when we can't see it. He's teaching us. Paul is teaching us. You receive peace when you pray, but you steward peace when you think differently. And so one of the things that I've noticed in my home this summer, and maybe every summer, is an increase in flies. And so for some reason, I feel like it's I'm going to be honest, I feel like it's all my kids' fault for leaving the door open. But it's also because I live in the country, you know. I live in a a neighborhood, but it's kind of in the country. It probably used to be a horse pasture. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's flies everywhere. And so I get, you know, the beginning of the summer, spring, summer, you get get like one fly. No big deal. That's just life. One fly is not going to ruin your life. And so then what happens is, what happens when one fly comes? They multiply like nothing else. And so then thousands of flies come. I'm exaggerating, but it feels that way. And so this week, as I was preparing for this sermon, I was in, you know, my home, flies everywhere. I'm, like, distracted, trying to kill all the flies. Then I go into Stephen's office, and I'm like, okay, I'll be able to focus more. And uh, there are so many flies in Stephen's office. I'm like, and they're not just the regular flies that were in the house. They were kamikaze flies. They were like... (laughs) like flying into my face and like on me the whole time and I was like I can't I I cannot I have to leave this space so I go back into my house and what do I see a whole bunch of flies but the ones in my house for some reason are, are not kamikaze but they are annoying and so one of my thoughts is the fact that that's exactly what negative thoughts do it starts with one negative thought and you think that's no big deal I can deal with one negative thought. It's, it's something I can live with. But there is a point where negative thoughts multiply. And they make babies, and they have more and more and more. And so they do that in your head. And before you know it, you have an infestation of negative thoughts. And so this has started from a very young age. From the minute that you are able to have any environment around you, negative thoughts have been starting to be implanted into your head. Because there is a a way of life called entropy. It's just science. Things lead towards destruction. When you're small, you start living in a fallen world where it's not perfect, and so instead of becoming happier and more joyful and more positive, you become sadder and more depressed and more discouraged and more negative. Because entropy has occurred. The only way to be able to combat it is through the word of God in such a way that we will think differently. It is not a passive thing in my house right now to get rid of the, ha- the flies. I'm not hoping internally that they'll just leave. I'm not thinking, well, when it gets cold, they'll be gone. I am actively taking that fly swatter, getting the spray, and I'm trying to get rid of every single fly in my house because they're driving me crazy, and I'm not going to let them take over my home. Okay, so but what we do in our head is flies of negative thoughts just swarm in our head, and that we're infested with them, and we feel like we have no authority over them. We feel as if we're just doomed for negativity, but that is not, you're not doomed. You, were, you are a new creation, and you are destined to think differently. And so let me just quickly talk about just five negative thoughts that I feel like many of us probably adopt most of the time. Always or never thinking means everyone, every time, everything is going wrong is negative, is bad, is terrible. Two, focusing on the negative. Looking at the time when I was on the side of the road with a flat tire with five kids, four and under, for over two hours in 100 degree weather, I couldn't see anything positive. But yet, there was really nothing terrible about that day. It was just life. Number three, fortune telling. We like to predict the worst possible outcome. We like to pretend like we know what others are thinking. But guess what? The enemy loves for you to fortune tell. And it is a form of witchcraft. And so I want you to recognize that fortune telling and say, I don't have to think that anymore. I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know what's gonna happen. God can still change what I think is going to happen. God can still make this relationship at peace because I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know where that thought came from because I haven't heard their heart, and there's more to this. Number four is guilt beatings. Have you ever ruminated thoughts in shoulda, coulda, woulda? Are you driven by what you must do? I want to be driven by the Spirit of God. I want to must follow the Spirit of God. I want to must follow God's way. I don't want to must have to go please everybody. I don't want to must have to go do this, this, and that without considering what God has called me to do. Number five is labeling. Have you ever called yourself a name? Have you ever called somebody else a name? And oftentimes, hopefully, as adults in this room, you don't do that anymore. But what happens is it stays in your head. And we call our spouse a name because, after all, they acted that way. We call ourselves a name because, after all, that's been our habit pattern. But you don't have to think that that's the end of the story. God is the one who writes our stories and who can change anyone's life, even if they were destined. They're just so mean. Guess what? God can change them and transform them, and they can be someone full of the Holy Spirit too. Maybe you think, I always mess up. I'm always so awkward with people. God can transform your life in such a way that you make an impact on people's life, not a awkward feeling. Okay, so 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. The way we take thoughts captive is to replace them. Paul is saying, I'm telling you what to think. If it is not honorable, true, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise, combat that thought. Test every single thought that goes in your head because it could be a fly that multiplies and that is dangerous because what happens is when there are so many flies in the room I cannot focus. I feel like I'm going crazy. I cannot be reasonable because of the flies. And right now I want you to know that the negative thoughts in your head are dangerous. You cannot be reasonable. You cannot experience God's peace and His joy when you don't combat the flies, the negative thoughts in your head and say, I don't have to think that. I can take captive that thought under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and I can think something different because God is good. Number three is practice the good. We have to practice the good. Philippians 4.9 says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now, training is learning something new and how to improve. But practice is doing reps until you can instinctively do that skill. And Paul is saying, Some of y'all are so distracted about trying to learn something new that you need to practice what I've taught you. I need, you need to practice and remember what you know and do it every day. And don't think because you got to day 60 that I did it. What about year 10 and year 20 and year 40? This is a long-term marathon, and I want to get to heaven and say, okay, I did." there were times I got weary, but I didn't allow it to keep me from practicing what you told me to do. There was times I got busy, but the Holy Spirit came in and told me, hey, you're too busy. You're running too hard. You're thinking that it's all on you, but it's all on me. Stop running and come and enter my presence in prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. Stop thinking those negative thoughts as if you have some type of intelligence above mine. Come on, think differently and practice those things until I come back because there is peace even on this earth, in this world, in this fallen state that you can experience. Of course, we'll have peace eternally, but you can have peace today. You know, I know that one of the things that even I have to remind myself that I'm not talented enough, I'm not gifted enough, I don't know enough to have peace every day. I have to practice this every day, just like you do. I remember just uh, about a year ago, I was having some pain, and it was everyday pain, and it went on and on and on and on. And I started trying to target like what the reason was, and I come to the fact that I almost felt like I was a victim to the pain, as if I was at an age where now this is just my story, that I just now have this pain. But God convicted me. It was like a year before I really heard the voice of the Lord. And the Holy Spirit said, did you pray about it? Have you asked me to heal you? And I did. I went to the Lord and I said, heal me. God, I know that I don't have to have this pain. Father God, I'm sorry for accepting it as if you couldn't do anything about it. I didn't even consult him about it. And I remember that I was with a group of our staff at the Bashir's house. And I remember they asked if we needed prayer. And I remember feeling weird about praying for my back pain because I was like, Doesn't seem like like that big of a deal. And so they prayed for me, and then even me seeking the Lord, like, Lord, I know you have healing for me, and God led me to a number of things that I did, but I know it was the Holy Spirit. I changed some things. I took some things, and God healed me, and I'm no longer in pain because there's a point in our relationship with God that we have to practice the good. We're not going to practice the good without being intentional and saying, actually, I'm living with a pain. I don't have to. You can heal me, God, even if I don't feel like it's the biggest thing in the whole wide world. You love me and care for me, and I don't have to live this way. I don't have to rehearse the bad. I can practice the good. Don't allow your, yourself to get fatigued or busy allow the Holy Spirit to come and quicken your mortal bodies and say, you can continue practicing the good until this skill is instinctive. We receive peace by making requests. We steward the peace by thinking differently. And we keep the peace when we practice the good. Notice that this scripture in uh, verse 4, verse 9, or chapter 4, verse 9, it says, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I know there's nothing in comparison to God's presence. His presence brings peace. Have you ever been in a worship service where you came in stressed and anxious and worried and all of a sudden all that melted off of you because you were in the presence of the Lord? You can have the presence of the Lord on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And it's not because he's too far out of reach. He said, the Lord is at hand. And when you practice the good, don't act as if it's not spiritual. His presence comes into our lives. And we no longer are waiting for a quick fix, but we're walking in the peace that he has for us. Now you may feel like in your life that you're on the side of the road with four kids, five and under, sweating two hours later, wondering if there's any good in your life. But today I want you to know that the Lord sees you and he sees that it's tough and he sees that it's hard and he sees that sometimes you don't even know why you're anxious. You don't even have a reason why, but he knows your history and he knows the seed that was planted even as a child that has grown into something that has become a negative thing in your life that you don't really have any solution for. And God is saying today that he's giving us the power through the power of the Holy Spirit to break that algorithm. You know, I don't know about you, but on social media, they give you these ads and they have this algorithm and they show you what you're basically interested in, what country you're from, what area you live in, what. They, they produce an algorithm on what you see on your social media feed. And I believe that the Holy Spirit can empower you today to break the algorithm. Where instead of rehearsing the bad and thinking on the things that are the flies that are keeping you fo- unfocused. He's saying, come to me, come to my presence, make your requests known. Not with just a thrown up prayer, but with supplication, with your whole heart, with all your faith. He's not afraid of your small faith. He can use just a mustard seed. And He can give you the help and the encouragement that you need to practice the good in your situation. I believe that even today, when I woke up this morning, that was a specific word for someone. I literally woke up, this was not in my notes, and the Lord, I felt like, spoke to me and said, Break the algorithm. And I feel like somebody in this room feels trapped in the algorithm. And I want you to know that you don't have to be trapped anymore. Today is the day that that algorithm can break. I believe there's somebody in this room that you may even be facing some entitlement. And I wanna preface that with the fact that a lot of times when we think of entitlement, we do think negatively. But I do want to remind you that anything that we think and anything that we deal with is always because of a reason. And so I think that probably what happens is when we have entitlement, even in our spiritual walk or in our life, it started with either an overprotective parent or an underprotective parent. Where someone prevented you from experiencing the normal bruises and scrapes in life so much that you hit life and you feel like everything that hits you is undeserved or maybe you walked you lived a life as a child and you weren't protected maybe your your dad left and he didn't provide for you or maybe your mom had to work a lot and wasn't able to give you the love and the care that you really did need as a child but I believe that that is now showing bad fruit in your life in such a way that now you're looking to others to provide you're looking to others to be who you need them to be you're looking to others because of a real need that wasn't met in your life and i believe today that the holy spirit wants you to know that that's an algorithm he wants to break right now peace i give you peace i leave with you Right before he says that, he also tells us that he's sending us a helper, an advocate, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one that has the power to break the algorithm in your life. Now it may not be entitlement, like I said. That's just something that I felt strongly to share today. But I believe those who walked in and said, I have a fly infestation in my head. I don't want to go crazy, and I don't want the people around me to be the recipient of this negativity. I want to have the peace of God that gives me reasonableness to all men. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear how this message impacted you. Feel free to let us know on the Contact Us tab of the house website. We hope you have a great week.